When you hear the word collector, what comes to mind? For me, it's always been an image of an older man sitting at a table under the warm yellow glow of an overhead light, happily adding the latest acquisition to his stamp book. Or a woman smiling to herself as she gently places a ceramic figurine in her display cabinet. Or the comic or baseball card collector who frequents a local shop, talking collecting with other random customers and a few familiar faces. Those were images that I witnessed as a young child, and they defined the idea of collecting for a long time. I had collected things for as long as I could remember, rummaging through clothing racks as a preschooler and picking up all the plastic clips found on pants and shirts in stores while my mother shopped for school items for my sister and me. A few years later, I was at the local pool club with my family, and I was no older than five or six. A girl sat on the edge of a recliner chair with green horizontal plastic strips as backing, a row away from me. She pulled out two sealed packs of the Garbage Pail Kids cards. Having been obsessed with Garbage Pail Kids at the time, as all kids were, I knew the difference between the first three series by the colors of the wrappers, but had never seen packs before that were electric yellow, like the ones she had. I could barely make out what was on the packs, but as she flipped each card over, I was fascinated with the blur of images on the backs. The wrapper sat on the ground next to her, and each one had a large white four on it over a purple design, indicating that it was the fourth series in the set. And up to that point, I was very familiar with the first three series, and finding out there was an all-new fourth edition did something to my brain in that moment. I couldn't focus on anything else. I kept finding ways to sneak glances toward the girl, straining to get another glimpse of a new card. And every time she would pick up a pack to show her friends or to look at them by herself, I took mental snapshots of the fragments that were unobstructed by her hands. It was all I could think about. I had to know more about them. I had to have them. And while that feeling has always stayed with me, the items have changed over the years. But I have had two different views of collecting, between doing so as a child and as an adult. The first, the one I had experienced as a child and as a young teen, was collecting with others. It was item-centric and others-centric. I collected toys, and my friends collected toys from the lines like Star Wars, Transformers, and G.I. Joe, and we played with them together. After I grew out of playing with toys, I moved on to collecting video games and comic books. And my friends and I played the games together, and we went to comic book stores and bought comics and traded them to one another. In my mind, it was possible to collect things that you liked and to share them with those with whom you went to school or were friends outside of the classroom. They were shared interests that connected you and could be experienced together. The second view of collecting was one that I saw in adults, which I've often compared to collecting on an island. Stamp and card collectors, or ones who purchase figurines, did so in a seemingly solitary manner. Maybe a collector would run into someone at a yard sale or a sports card store once in a while for a quick chat, and maybe had a friend who shared that interest. But there seemed to be a large difference. It was like the most fun part of collecting, doing it with friends, was largely missing. When I began to collect Star Wars figures and toys as an adult, 
It was a way to reconnect with my childhood and to learn about the history and design of a line that had meant so much to me in my earliest years. And I'm so happy to say that my impression of what it would be like to collect as an adult was completely wrong. As I learned after a few years of collecting by myself, there is an entire community of people who not only share the same passions as you do, but collect with the same intensity as well. And the secret to collecting as an adult is that it's a way to get back to all of the wonderful experiences you had with friends as a child. Collecting Star Wars toys and prototypes is an interesting and vibrant hobby. The social and communal aspects are more crucial to it than you could possibly imagine. Weekend trips to toy shows are like sleepaway camps for grown-ups. Hotels near the venue become our bunks, and we room with our friends for the duration. We stay up late as diners become our mess halls. We wake up early and have packed schedules, caravanning to the homes of other collectors who live nearby, or touring sites unique to the location. We room with our friends and have breakfast together, and head out to restaurants for lunch and dinner. And the nights bring some of the best memories, laughing harder together than you'd think your body could handle, and all the while continuing the never-ending pursuit for what pops up next. And I do this with some of the most creative and warm-hearted people I've met in my few decades on this earth. Most of us talk to one another daily, whether it's over the phone or in a Zoom meeting or on a group Facebook chat. We help each other find pieces for our collections, sure, but there's so much more to collecting than that. We connect, we're there for one another, and we create invaluable memories together. In a strange way, we really get to be kids again, and life is all the more exciting for it. I had no idea this community existed when I first started collecting, and that something like this would be waiting for me as an adult. And I can now say I've had some of the greatest experiences of my life with the people who are a part of it. The pandemic and the resultant quarantine have been tough on everyone. And for our collecting community, it robbed us of a year of being together, spending time in the same room at a meetup, or at a toy show weekend, or a convention. Numerous large-scale events have been canceled or postponed, from the Empire State Club's annual to Star Wars Celebration Anaheim. And for people who are used to traveling around the country to be together, it's difficult not to have those in-person moments anymore. But we can still connect. As I said before, Star Wars collectors are a creative bunch, and we will always find ways to stay connected. This is the first episode of a new ongoing series. This is a mix of two of the best and most special things in our community, collecting and conversation. This is a peek into the collection of Matt George, author, historian, and friend. This is Six Stories. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Star Wars, prototypes and production. 
with your host, David Quinn. It's a trap! Yes, During the changing of the seasons, and as winter reared its icy head, a friend of mine wrote me a note that has remained with me for months. He said that he had really enjoyed the conversational episodes of last year's podcast, and that they made him feel like he was back at a meetup again, catching up with friends old and new. For me, one of the most special moments during the quarantine occurred in March. As the pandemic shut everyone in, we opened windows into our homes and into our lives through nightly videos. Each evening, someone from our community would spend an hour live-streaming a tour from their collection, as the rest of us would watch, often in amazement, at the items presented before us, and we'd comment in the video's group chat. It was personal and intimate, and it felt like a family gathering, one spanning multiple states and countries and covering hundreds of collectors. Seeing rare pieces was incredible, but hearing both the history and what those pieces meant to our friends meant so much more. The bonds that were formed through events like that resonated with me. And for this new series, I wanted to find a way to continue those tours, but in the form of a conversation. Something that would closely mirror what it was like to hang out with a collector for a while. And so, Six Stories was born. Six Stories will be an ongoing series in which you and I step into the collection rooms of some of our collector friends, whose arrangements span everything from Star Wars and beyond. During the episodes, you'll hear stories behind six pieces, ones that are fantastical and touching, historical and hysterical, and ones that will offer insight into the items themselves, as well as into the lives of the ones responsible for them and the ones who currently own them. And when the idea for Six Stories came to me earlier this week, the first person I thought of was Matt George. Matt is from the Dallas-Fort Worth area and gave a tour of his collection at the beginning of quarantine. He has collected for years and has one of the best collections in the world. And not just of Star Wars figures, either. In fact, most of his video tour that night in March centered around his storied run of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pre-production pieces. I'm not a Turtles collector, but I found his explanation of the history of the pieces and how he acquired them to be compelling. He has a wealth of knowledge, not only about lines like Star Wars and the Turtles, but about the history of toy companies like Kenner, Playmates, and Hasbro. I thoroughly enjoyed learning about a topic about which I knew very little, and messaged him after his live stream to ask him questions about certain items, all of which he happily answered during another warm and funny conversation. And after having a memorable experience like that, Matt felt like the perfect person for this new series. This is not the first time Matt has been on the podcast. Matt's a dear friend of mine, and I am honored to say that. He was part of the wonderful weekend that was the 2019 ICCC event in Nashville, and he was one of the members of an episode which will always be one of my personal favorites, number 14, titled An Unforgettable Late Night Collector's Roundtable at the Annual. 
But if you're a vintage collector, you probably know Matt as one of the authors of the essential tome, Engineering an Empire, the creators of Kenner's Star Wars Toys. This 400-page book covers the creators and designers of some of the iconic Star Wars toys of the 1970s and 1980s. I'd like to give a huge Prototypes and Production shout-out to his partners in crime, too, Stephen Ward and Gary Borbage, for the work they all did on bringing this book to life for all of us to enjoy. Well done, gents. I asked Matt if he would share six stories behind some of the Star Wars items in his collection, and his selection is an eclectic and electric mix of some of the pieces he picked up during the creation of the book, with some wonderful surprises thrown in as well. And I won't say too much just yet, but Matt and I have already planned a second episode for a future conversation. So grab a big cup of hot cocoa and your favorite x-ray machine and evidence bag, and come join us in Matt's collection room for six stories. Okay, Mr. Matt George, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time out today to do this. I've been looking forward to to just sitting and talking with you for a while, uh, and I, I think a lot of our friends need something like this right now. You know, I, I think it'll um, getting a chance to to hear stories from from uh, different collectors about their collection is stuff that we just we live for, we love, uh, and so it, it's nice having you today. Oh, thanks. I appreciate you having me on, and and uh, I hope that. Like one of my pet peeves in life is people that go out of their way to tell you how their golf game went or how their fantasy football team's going, and uh, I hope that no one is uh, listening to this and like thinking to themselves, "Oh, well, here's another guy talking about his collection." Um, I'm hoping to, that these stories are personal enough and interesting enough that uh, you'll listen all the way through because there's some pretty cool stuff in here. And and that's the thing. I mean, you, when I when I thought of this idea for doing six stories, you were the first person that came to mind, uh, and it really goes back to March, um, March of 2020. Uh, as soon as the pandemic hit, um, you, uh, Mark Vanis, and, and a number of other people just they you guys let us into your homes, and uh, you know we would basically we'd get a, a tour for an hour, you know, of, of your collection. And, um, and you shared so many interesting stories. And um, one of one of your your focus areas is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, something that I'm not really up on, uh, and, and, and as familiar with as I should be as a, as a collector and as, as uh, someone who, who appreciates toys. And to sit and listen to you talk about this stuff, I just found it incredibly compelling. And, um, and I thought, as as an introductory uh, episode, as a, as a premiere, you know, first episode, uh, I couldn't picture a better person to have on. So, hey, man, I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. <laughs> Absolutely, I think you and I are coming from the, the same perspective, where um, being in, in quarantine and uh, and not being able to to be together in person. Um, I, I you know we've talked about this, and I think a lot of our friends are kind of suffering from this too, where th- there is somewhat of a disconnect. You know, and, and we miss we miss just all being in the same room. Uh, and, it, and so, if, if you know, if this sort of helps, and and if it you know connects people and, and connects people who aren't in the, the hobby yet or aren't part of the community, uh, I think it's really valuable. Oh, absolutely. And uh, 
uh, we were talking the other day and um, connecting with collectors has been kind of what's sustained a lot of people through this. And whether it's, you know, Justin Haney setting up his weekly zoom calls and um, uh, kind of virtual get togethers. And um, like, I think those have like sustained a lot of people through this. And it's something that people have been looking forward to. I was fortunate enough to have taken a road trip with, uh, with Vanis uh, back in August. And we went out to, um, he drove down from Iowa to down. Uh, we actually met in uh, Colorado. So I drove from uh, DFW up to Colorado and uh, he drove from Iowa to Colorado. Ironically enough, uh, whenever I went to go fill my gas up um, in Colorado, he happened to be at the gas stall right next to me. <laughs> so it just kind of all worked out real well like that. So we, we met up and, and I uh, went from Colorado and I went to go see Jeff Jacobs collection and stay with him and his wife. Uh, that was really awesome to see. It's something I've always wanted to do. And then um, from there, went to Park City and then uh, through L.A. And um, we went up to Central California, visited a guy there and and um, hung out with Brian Angel you know, every night. Like he was him, him and his wife were really cool about having us over and, you know, buying us all kind of food and <laughs> drink and, and other and. <laughs> Um, made our way back to, uh, down through San Diego and to Arizona where we, we parted ways. And, uh, but before we did, we hung out with, um, with, uh, the Arizona collecting crew and, you know, uh, Tim Eckholt and, and Brandon Vice and, and Don and Paul and all those guys. And we just had a great time and definitely has been kind of the highlight of my pandemic time was that trip. And, uh, I just, I couldn't have, uh, imagined kind of what this, this pandemic would have been without that. And, and I think Venice feels kind of the same way. And, and, uh, I know that, you know, not everyone's fortunate enough to have be able to do stuff like that, but, um, it, it just shows you how important kind of friendships and, and things like that are, especially during this time. So I know that once this is kind of all behind us and we're, we have a kind of the first large, uh, en masse meetup, it's, it's going to be uh, something pretty special. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And I mean, just in that story alone, what, what you've been able to do, uh, you know, over the course of a number of days was something that I think all of us have, have dreamed about doing, you know, just even, even, you know, before the pandemic, but it's become so important now, you know, that it's like, we keep asking ourselves, like, how do we, how can we find ways to connect? And when you can do that in person, you know, you essentially, <laughs> you were able to go on a road trip with it, with a really good friend. Um, you were able to stop off at, at people's homes, uh, and, and with other collectors, um, you know, who, who we all love and, and know. Um, and then just to, to really get away from, um, you know, just being home, being, being kind of, kind of stuck. Right. Uh, so, you know, even, even just as one trip for the year, I mean, that, that's so special. That's something that will live with you forever. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we, it was, uh, at the end of the day, we, you know, we went to go talk to folks and, and, you know, try to buy toys. So it was a, it was a toy trip too, but, um, that was almost beside the point because it was really more about getting out and, and hanging out with, with folks that I haven't been able to hang out with for a long time. And, and uh, it's something that absolutely will will uh, kind of live with uh, you know those who participated. I think for forever. Like when they think about the pandemic, uh, that trip will kind of stick out to them because uh, it, it was so rare. And you know, it's just uh, um, 
so hard to hard to do these days. Mm-hmm. And I was I was with you in spirit uh, for the trip, um, and I, I just I remember looking forward to getting phone calls from you and Mark each day uh, along your <laughs> your travels, and uh, they were some of the funniest and uh, and most fun conversations I had during the pandemic. So I thank you for allowing me to be a part of that too, because that that meant a lot. Yeah, uh, no problem. That was uh, definitely a highlight of the of the days. Um, we looked forward to catching up with you each night. And <laughs> amazingly enough, we recorded a couple of podcasts. So we, we kind of did a recap of each day that we had out there. And hopefully one day, Vanis will get around to actually putting them up online <laughs> for people to listen to. Come uh, on, Vanis. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. fingers crossed. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Um so a few years ago, uh, you and uh, and our other friends, um, Gary uh, and and Stephen. So that, that's Gary Borbage and Stephen Ward. Uh, together, you the three of you. Gary's last name correct. It's not <laughs> Borbridge. There's no bridge. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Gary Bowbridge and, uh, and and Stephen Ward and 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 you created a uh, a wonderful book. Um, it's called Engineering an Empire. Um, and uh, if you want to just explain what it is to people, maybe who, who uh, I guess, like the, the 3% of collectors who haven't read it yet. Is, is that the number? 3%? Dang. Um, oh, wait, wait, no, I just got a, an update. It's 2% now. Okay, man. Well, um, so it's a, it's a book that um, focuses on the people behind the, the toys and who made the toys at Kenner. So uh, over the course of about three years, we, we interviewed... Uh, well over a hundred folks, but we couldn't get all of them featured in, in this book. Um, so eventually it will spill over into a second volume, but it basically tells the story of those people and kind of what their careers uh, looked like, who they were and what their impact was to the line itself. And, and through that process, it, it explains kind of toy making and what each of the individual departments, these folks worked in were responsible for, um, there's a lot of anecdotes in the book about the, you know, their favorite project they worked on for Star Wars and, and other lines at Kenner that they worked on, but it's primarily, uh, focuses on those folks. It's basically a compendium of, of biographies of the folks that worked on the line. Yeah. And I would say it has some of the coolest pictures I've seen, uh, I think since Gus and Duncan's, uh, prototype book, you know, I mean, it just, it's become a real asset. Oh yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, we couldn't have done it without um, the the support of the the collectors, especially those folks that have uh, been in the hobby for quite some time. Like uh, you know, Chris and Ron and Gus, they were um, very forthcoming with uh, request uh, images from requests from us to help, I guess, um, supplement the the text with with you know, kind of photo embellishments, if you will. Because uh, you can't really tell the story of the guy that sculpted Darth Vader without the sculpted Darth Vader, and, and right. uh, you know we were fortunate enough to to have a number of instances like that where uh, there's these iconic pieces that that um, we were allowed to use uh, from these guys from their collections. So um, yeah, it it was uh, you know the three of us, our names are on the book, but we couldn't have done it without really the help of the community. And that's been one of the most special things. I mean, it's amazing to look at this community and what we do and to be able to turn around and to point to our friends and to say, okay, uh, you know, again, you, Gary Bowbridge and and Steven wrote this book. You guys, you guys took the time. I mean, 
uh, another thing, you know, it took you three years to put this book together. And for a lot of people, the attention span of taking the time to put something together and spend three years on it, um, it doesn't, you know, it, it's, it's a rarity, right? It, to, and you had to travel all over. You had to, you had to um, find and meet with all of these different former employees uh, and then, you know, and build a relationship with them and then and speak to them and, and get their story and then write it out, uh, do the you know entire design and the layout. And I mean, the work that you guys did into this um, – I'm researching a uh, an episode of, of an upcoming podcast, uh, or of, of the uh, of the podcast of an upcoming episode, and um, I, I've had to use your book numerous times, and and I I think it, for me it's so special because I'm not using just some some reference guide or something that I got either online or from you know the library, but I'm using the book that my friends wrote. And I can't tell you how much that means. I mean, that's so special. Uh, your book has become one of my favorite uh, collecting books because again, it, it, it's found its own lane. It's taken an area of the hobby, um, in which there's been a little information, uh, you know, that that's really been released. You know, we've seen a little bit on, on, uh, Netflix is the toys that made us, but you guys have really delved into highlighting who these people are, who made these pieces that we love. So thank you again. No, I appreciate the call out. And, um, We've, we've got a few copies left. If anyone wants to buy one that, that hasn't yet, it's available at engineeringandempirebook.com. So don't forget the book in there. Um, I think it's like $64.99, and, and you know, there's, we, we put the priority shipping on there. So, um, yeah, if you um, still need a copy, please don't hesitate to put an order through and reach out to us. We're on, um, on Facebook at, uh, uh, at Engineering and Empire Book. Uh, we've got a Facebook group set up there, so you can message us, um, you know, provide us feedback, whatever. Um, just feel free to reach out. Yeah, and it, it truly is worth the price. Um, I've read it a, a number of times. In fact, I was even going back through it today, uh, you know, ahead of our conversation, and uh, I just. You know, even just looking through one or two of of the the entries that you have about the the different people uh, who worked on the Kenner line. I mean, you know, you just you just almost instantaneously begin to to connect with all these different people, and and it means something more. And then when you see the actual, either whether it's a, a prototype piece like a sculpt, or you know the 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 uh, production pieces that that we all own, you know, the Darth Vader and Yoda, they they start to actually take on something even more important. Uh, and that's all because of you know the time that you guys put into this and and did as friends, which is amazing. Yeah, we. Yeah. I think if uh, like originally Stephen had the idea, and um, you know he came to me and asked if I would be interested in doing this. I think partly because, like I think we both wanted to write a book of some kind um, before, and I don't know if we would have had the diligence enough to do it if it was just a solo project. So the fact that there were uh, multiple people involved, you know, kind of we put the pressure on each other to see this thing through to the end. Um, yeah, but definitely was a team effort. Could not have. I don't think we could have done it as a solo project at all. Good. And is that team effort going to continue? Uh, will we get a second part? Yeah, uh, I mentioned earlier we uh, we had so much info we couldn't squeeze it all into one book. Um, so we are uh, in the process of uh, interviewing more folks for the second volume. Um, there are there's still a lot of great stories to tell. Um, some folks that had worked at uh, Hasbro still 
um, just because they still work for the company, couldn't be a part of the first book. So they're going to be in the second book because they've since retired. Um, and then it just uh, we we wanted to cap the book at 400 pages, um, and we still had you know hundreds of pages worth of material. Uh, so we just thought it would make sense to spill over into a second book. So unfortunately, COVID's put a halt to the the interviewing process. Um, but kind of once we're up and running again, uh, the plan is to finish up the remaining interviews we've got and um, get the second book out for you guys to to enjoy. Engineering and Empire. I, I, I so look forward to the second uh, the second phase of it, and and uh, hopefully there's much more to come as well too, because it, it's something that I, I think you guys can keep doing. And uh, you know, it, it's it's just again, it's so nice to be able to connect with the people that that had a hand in this and were responsible for making the stuff that we collect and love. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the six stories now. So uh, so. Uh, I purposefully, as I said, I wanted to do this because I wanted to um, to have our friends share stories about pieces that mean things to them within their collections. Uh, so, so Matt, what is your first piece? So the first, uh, a number of these pieces, let me start off by saying it was uh, pieces that I was able to acquire just from talking to the folks that we interviewed for the books. Um, you know, these folks are getting up there in age and really don't have a, a lot of need to to hang on to a lot of this stuff. So, um, you know, we've been fortunate enough to, to add some of these items to our collections um, over the last couple of years. But um, so a couple of these items that I'll be talking about was able to, to get directly from these folks. And the, the first one, it's, it's an interesting story because it involves um, uh, Brian Angel and a spa day. And, um, <laughs> So let me just get right into it. So the one of the ladies that we interviewed in the book, uh, a lady by the name of Holly Yost. So she was right out of school, basically, um, when she came to Kenner, so real young. And she was responsible for doing the um, in, industrial design work, basically, for kind of that second wave of figures. Um, when she got there, the, the Sears Cantina foursome had already kind of been done. So she did the remaining figures from that kind of second wave. One of those was Boba Fett. And she, you know, uh, one of my favorite parts of the book was uh, kind of her section because she talked about, um, you know, Boba Fett. And he's kind of, you know, high profile and whatnot and talked about the paint apps and how she like thought tooth and nail to get a, an extra paint app and extra scent applied to the cost and, and um, the Boba Fett kind of looks better than the other figures because he's got more paint on him. And, and uh, anyway, so she talked about that a lot in, in her chapter and I finally got a chance to go out and visit her in person um, on a trip out to LA and she still had a couple of the items that you know, she worked on from back in the day. Well, uh, two of them were Boba Fett's. One was a loose figure, and one was she still had a mailer, and the mailer was sealed up. Wow! And it was sealed up with tape that I had not seen before. So, um, she had recounted about how you know the rocket firing feature was discontinued, and and um, how they were all bummed about that. But um, so she, anyway, she took this mailer home 
from like the first batch that she, that she got in and she opened one of them up and um, kept the other one sealed up. Well, the one she had opened up, um, you could see on the back cavity of the backpack, it was incomplete. Like it was a very rough shot of that figure. So um, you could kind of see the outline of where the, the firing mechanism was. And so I, I, you know, I was in the back of my mind, I'm like thinking, I wonder if the, this mailer, if there's a rocket firing fed in there, cause I had not seen this tape before that was, that was taped up the, the mailer and um, explain to her that, you know, if, if this is a, if there's a rocket firing version in here, it could be worth a lot of money. Cause this was about the time one had just turned up um, from, you know, Daryl and, and Brendy and those guys. Um, and when so you say she, mailer though, you're, you're talking about it. It's essentially, it's a, it's a white box. It's the white, it's, it's just a white, you know, cardboard box that the, the figures would have shipped in once uh, you redeemed them, uh, the proofs of purchase. Um, so I convinced her to let me take it and get it x-rayed and (laughs) if you know they've got that the the spring in the middle of the cavity of the chest so if that spring would show up on the x-ray and I said if this thing is a rocket firing version I mean it's uh, this is worth God knows how much right so she agreed and um, uh, I, t- I took it off with me to L.A. And uh, she's, you know, very uh, trusting person. So took it with me to L.A. And uh, there we had some interviews lined up with some other folks. And Gary was there and, and um, Stephen was there. But they were all flying out, I think, the day after I was getting there. So the the day that I got there, I hung out with BA, Brian Angel. And so he treated me to like, he was like a member of the four seasons and, <laughs> you know, um, I got in town and went right to, to meet him up. And I, I took, uh, my luggage and I left in his car, but I took, I didn't, I didn't want to leave that, that rocket there, that, that Boba Fett mailer in the car. So I took it with me and put it in the locker of the spa and we went off and had our spa day. <laughs> so I don't know how many hours had passed, but you know, some libations were consumed. Um, sure. some massages were had <laughs> and, um, decided that, you know, I wanted to go meet up with uh, the, the folks that were flying in that, that night and left to go, uh, see them. Well, I get there and unpack the car and yada, yada, yada. And I realized that I had left that mailer in the locker. Oh, my God. And it's not like one of these, like, um, combination lockers. Like, anyone could open it up and get in into them. It was a very open environment. So I'm, like, freaking out. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I explain everything to Stephen and... Um, we make plans to drive the hour it took to get back up to the Four Seasons in Ventura. Call BA, and he gets us in contact with the hotel. And so I'm like frantic, right? Like this is this is crazy. So we finally get in contact with the the appropriate person at the hotel, and they had a custodian who was cleaning out the locker found it and turned it in. 
And so I was like, oh, my God, thank God. So Steve and I get in the car, and we just 100 miles an hour drive out there to, to Ventura. It's one of the rare times you'll see the highway empty in California. So we get out there and get it, and my God, thank God, right? So later on in the trip, we go to, we, we try to find some place that will x-ray this thing to see if, you know, the, the spring is, is in there. Oh, you're doing it out in California? Yeah, we couldn't wait. Like, <laughs> okay. like, like especially like since we damn near lost the thing. Um, so we, we call a couple of places. Finally, we find this pet hospital that's like real hard <laughs> up for any kind of business. It's sure. in a sketchy part of town and, um, you know, it looks like they hadn't seen a, a pet come through there in about a week and a half. And so there's like these two young technicians working in there that, that, uh, we walk in and, you know, Hey, we're the guys that called on the phone. Can you x-ray this for us? And they look at us like we're crazy. Um, <laughs> of course Gary's wearing his 69 Jersey and, uh, Steven's got his beard and I probably hadn't shaved in a while. And, we just looked like a ragtag group of folks that were stopping in, having a toy X-rated at a pet hospital in <laughs> Podunk, California. <laughs> so we were eagerly in the waiting room, waiting for the results of the X-ray, and uh, it came back negative. <laughs> it was uh, unfortunately just a regular old production version. Mm. Um, but at least we have the story. Yeah, that, that's pretty impressive. Had it turned out to be a rocket firing version, it was just been kind of like the the cherry on top. But um, alas, it was not. And um, I don't know if we can share like photos, but I'll, I'll send a photo of the mailer and the and the X ray because uh, you know I definitely saved those. <laughs> um, but it made, for a, it made for a good story. I've still yeah. got the mailer. Um, I reported back to Holly that in fact it was not the you know, not the hundred two hundred thousand dollar version of it, but um, uh, anyway, we had a good story out of it. That's awesome. That is, and, and it's true. It's like you know the pieces that we get are it can be very exciting, but when you have a story like that, I mean, you'll never look at that thing the same way ever again. No, no. <laughs> I became an expert on the various tape. That, you, that was used on the uh, <laughs> the mailers back in the, the day. Boxes? Sure, sure. What, what made this one different? What was the difference? In it, it was just darker and it was multi layered. So, um, it, there was a there was like this darker tape that was put on first, but then there was like a, a piece of scotch tape put over it that just didn't look like the traditional tape used in in the mailers that I've seen. So. Um, she might have just got like a very, very early batch from from the factory, and they might not have even been taped up, to be honest with you. And they might have just applied that tape internally um, at Kenner there. But um, yeah, it's just a really unique piece. Very cool. Very cool. And what would be uh, item number two? So, um, continuing with uh, the book thing. So, the first meeting that Stephen and I had, um, we had a list of, I think it was five names. And this is our first trip to Cincinnati. We had no idea what we were doing. 
none. We were just like so stoked just to be like embarking on the journey. And the first guy we met with was this guy named and was a sculptor. He wound up heading up the sculpting department. And um, I think like fate works kind of in mysterious ways. And I, I think if, if the first meeting that we had in this was anyone else, it, uh, I'm not sure the, the, the book would have kind of turned out the same way, but we get to the meeting early, um, come right from the airport to, to the meeting spot as a restaurant, kind of a bar with beer, I guess like, like a brewery. Um, and we get there early. We're just like, Oh man, I wonder if he's going to like bring anything to show. And we're just like kind of working ourselves up for this meeting. Um, at the time the meeting was supposed to start, uh, we see him get out of his car and we're like, Oh my gosh, there he is. There he is. Has he got anything? Is he, and then he like pulls out this like grocery bag. It's like, <laughs> it's like sack. And I'm like, okay, he's got stuff. He's like, got stuff to show us. So he gets in and, you know, we make the introductions and sit down in a booth and, uh, you know, get to know him a little bit. And, um, he starts telling me about, his time there just about the background of him and his family. And, um, you know, we just, you know, taking notes for the, for the book. And, and, um, so finally he like starts getting stuff out of the bag. And the first thing he pulls out is like binder, this three ring binder. Um, I don't know, like three or four inches thick and just really, you know, a lot of stuff. So like, open up the binder and the first thing we see the very first piece we see is the original paperwork that Kenner had sent to the guy that sculpted Darth Vader. And so what, what this was, was it outlined like who Darth Vader was. It's, and it was dated like May 31st, 1977. It's like right after the movie came out. (laughs) Wow. And so it outlines like who he was and like um, how the, um, you know, how tall it should be in wax and like how tall the figure is going to wind up being in production. And, um, there was a note, like a handwritten note about like how the, the lightsaber should fit in the arm. And, um, it was just weird seeing it, uh, an item for a time where no one really knew what star Wars was like the average person, like it wasn't part of our, um, popular culture at that point. Right. And, um, it was sent to this guy, Harvey Albach. So he was a longtime Mattel sculptor. So he, he sculpted actually some of the earliest Barbie stuff. So, um, anytime Barbie had a, yeah, change in like the leg joints or elbow joints, he would be the one that kind of sculpted the new limbs. And he worked on the very first pieces and he, um, he had a, the very first Barbie that he kept on his workbench that he would use as, um, you know, model for, for the, all the Barbies that came after that he worked on. But anyway, he got to know, um, this guy named John Gardner, who was the, the head of sculpting at Kenner. And at the time of star Wars, Kenner only had a couple people in house that worked in sculpting. And so because of the fast turnaround time that they needed on these sculpts, they wound up outsourcing a lot of the, the original, eight sculpts to people, um, outside Kenner. 
And so Harvey was assigned Darth Vader. And so this is the very first piece we saw in the very first meeting of all the people that we interviewed for the book. And um, we were just like awestruck. Like, this is like an actual piece of history here. So turn the page and there was like the Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia paperwork. And that was outsourced to another former Mattel sculptor, Joyce Clark. And then turned the page, and there was the, the paperwork for Stormtrooper and C-3PO, who was outsourced to a guy named Don Winton, who was a longtime sculptor. Like he, I think he sculpted like the Emmy Award and the, the Mickey Mouse telephone. So this is another well-known guy in the Southern California area. Yeah, wow. And, um, you know, turn the page, and there's the paperwork for the, the Han Solo and Obi-Wan Kenobi um, sculpts that was sent off to another former Mattel guy, longtime toy sculptor Armando Baeza out in Southern California. So like those are the first pieces that we saw and like, they just made an indelible mark in my brain. Like every time I think about the project, I think about really that Vader paperwork. Cause that's the like, literally the first thing that we saw. So, um, we went through the rest of the binder, just amazing stuff in there that, you know, made its way into the book. And, um, but I've always kind of, I always wanted to see if I could acquire that Vader paperwork. Cause it was, again, the first thing done in the book. And it's just, I associate the book with that. Um, so several months later, it might've been a year later, uh, we were making another trip to Cincinnati. So I called him up and just asked if, um, you know, he'd ever consider letting it go. And, you know, I, I made him an offer on it and, and, he accepted the offer, and I was ecstatic about it. Uh, we went out and met him, and uh, again at another restaurant, and you know, chatted with him, caught him up to speed on kind of where we were with the with the book and how it was progressing, and um, acquired the paperwork. And I had it framed. It's probably my favorite thing that I've got, just because it again ties so closely in with the book and. Um, I just love it. I know that the, the Vader sculpt is out there. If I had one Holy Grail item that's it, out there somewhere in, in collections, that would be it. Um, uh, it was it before this paperwork, and it's uh, after after I've got the paperwork, it's definitely it. So I'd like to uh, – I've got a production Vader in the frame with the uh, paperwork, and I'd like to one day add the sculpt to it. I'd, it's an ambitious, lofty goal I've got, but <laughs> – uh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure we know where it is, so we might be able to help you. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> one day. Wow. Oh, that that's man. I mean, that's one of my favorite stories that I've heard in a long time. Uh, and um, I've I've seen some of your your frame jobs. I mean, they're they're gorgeous. Um, what does this one look like? So, in all the the paperwork consists of. About a half dozen pieces of paper. So uh, the the cover, the, like the first sheet, is just like the summary of who Vader is, how how they want the sculpt to look, how tall it should be. Um, there's a, another piece of paper that's got a, like the turnaround. Um, another piece of paper is you know what the the materials uh, that were enclosed with along with the paperwork were. Um, there was a. 
uh, a hand, I mentioned the handwritten note from John to um, Harvey about how the the lightsabers were going to work and how they were, how he needed to sculpt the arm around the armature that was provided. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, like a, almost like a checklist kind of like when the, the piece was due and when he got paid. And um, there was a, the invoice that was sent to him. Um, when you going back for a second, when you say turnaround, could you just describe that? Yeah. So, uh, Turnaround is, is typically like the front side and back view of the character. So the, the sculptor can um, correctly kind of sculpt the, the figure from all different angles. Um, in this case, I think it's just like the front and back. I don't think there was a side view. Um, and he, he would just use that as his inspiration for uh, sculpting the figure. Um, again, this is like a time when you know, comparatively fewer people knew who Dark Vader was as a character in the in the U.S. And it's weird. He's, he, in the in the note, John was like, "I highly encourage you to go see the movie." And <laughs> um, it's just weird having to explain to somebody who Dark Vader is. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, along with those pieces of paper, I, I, I have a photo of Harvey, um, and I put the you know a production figure in the in the frame i made it made the frame look like a 12 back as much as i could like i put the vader behind like a yellow backdrop like his card back and i put like a double racetrack silver kind of piping around the perimeter and um made it a a black backdrop um for the matting and had each of those pieces of paper visible and how long did it take to uh to actually frame it from start to finish to set Um, it all up uh, there, there's a local outfit down here called Aaron brothers. I don't know if they have those anywhere outside of Texas, but, um, they do really fine custom artwork framing and, um, uh, it took them like two weeks to frame it up. Hmm. Um, but it was, I spared no expense on the framing. Like I wanted it to look as good as it could look and they did a great job with it. Yeah, I mean, when you have a piece like that, you want to highlight it in the best possible way because, I mean, the story alone is incredible and then the history of it and then what it means to you. So, man, congratulations. That's an amazing piece. Thanks, man. And um, it's kind of worked out. Um, I wound up wound up selling off the other uh, items from that binder. And one of my good friends, Steve Boswell, ended up with the – the Han and Obi-Wan paperwork. So um, he kind of divested his Han items and wound up uh, selling me the, the Ben paperwork, uh, the Ben Han paperwork um, because I'm a Ben collector. I don't know if everyone knows that, but I, Ben's my focus character. And, and so I've added that and I just, for whatever reason, haven't got it framed up yet, but intend to kind of go down the same route as I did with the Vader paperwork and, kind of have that bookend my 2d wall that I've got going. So, um, yeah, I just so stoked to add those pieces. That's about That's as amazing. early as it gets, you know, like other than like the little Fisher price adventure people mock-ups that were done. Um, this paperwork's about as early as it gets for the line. Such an amazing piece. And the fact now that you have the Obi-Wan as well to, uh, to compliment the Vader. It's incredible. Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely lucky <laughs> to get those. 
All right. Item number three. Item number three. Let's see. Let's go with... Um, so, the early bird certificate, everyone, I think at this point, knows all about it, but Star Wars toys were in such demand, and Kenner was kind of late in getting the the rights to make the toys that they weren't able to get toys into the retail stores for Christmas of 77. So what they did was came up with the early bird certificate, which essentially uh, gave kids the right to purchase the first four figures as soon as they became available in early 78. Um, So I'm a big history buff, just out irrespective of toys. Um, but when it gets down into the, in, into the toys, I like to kind of get to collect the earliest stuff. So um, as far as production pieces it, for the toy line, it doesn't get any earlier than the early bird set. So um, a good buddy of mine had this early bird certificate still sealed up, but he also had the original Toys R Us sales slip that went with it and the receipt that went with it. And then the ad that the lady cut out that she took into Toys R Us to get this early bird. So it's, it's got the early bird certificate like circled and just kind of she tore out around it um, and took that in with her to, to pick up this early bird. Well, anyway, she bought this uh, certificate package and put it in the back of the closet where, you know, she was going to give it to her kid for Christmas and for whatever reason just forgot about it. And it sat in the back of her closet for 30-something years. And um, I think the story goes that she was um, getting ready to, to move out and, and uncovered this completely like untouched in 30-something years early bird certificate, still sealed up with all the, the paperwork that went along with it. And... Um, a uh, buddy of mine that owned it, I, don't, I won't say his name, I don't know if he wants it out there, who, who it was, but um, was getting ready to move it on and, and knew that I was interested in it. So um, I was able to acquire it, and I, I'd never seen anything like it, where um, you've got not only the ad that that was um, from that time period that was actually used to, like, physically by the, by the early bird along with the, right. the two receipts and sales slips. So just such a unique piece. Like anytime my, my rule of thumb is like, if I've never seen it, get it. And I had never seen anything like that. So I, I definitely wanted to, to get that and add it to the collection. Um, but it's, it's absolutely in pristine condition as you can imagine being untouched for all those years. Yeah, and it it's almost like she recorded that that she not only kept that and preserved it, but she also recorded the process of her getting it, you know, with the receipts and the um and the advertisement. Yeah, it's just like a moment kind of captured in time and it just sat in a bag all alone for the better part of four or three decades. So it's um it's very unique piece, good nice piece of history um that ties in nicely with Star Wars collecting. Beautiful. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and and you're right. I mean, that's such. I don't. I don't know if there's anything more iconic, really, as far as early Kenner than um, 
well now that you know the the vader and and the uh the early bird so uh so you're doing pretty well so far <laughs> yeah not too bad uh, 2d stuff is so underrated like people like the 3d stuff for good reason like don't get me wrong it's nothing wrong with it um definitely <clears throat> definitely more interesting to kind of look at and fool around with but the 2d stuff to me is just um so underrated because it's uh, there's so many great pieces out there that i think people discount because it's not a not a physical toy or not a physical prototype but for you know people that respect the history and their history kind of buffs and you know that that stuff um translates real well to to those kinds of collectors that that appreciate kind of the the history of items like that and to me the the 2d stories are uh as interesting, if not more interesting than, than the 3d stories. Yeah. I see a lot of our friends are starting to get into framing much more, you know, and, and really, you know, the art of framing and the art of presenting something, uh, whether it's, you know, from an historical perspective or just a collector perspective as well too. So it is nice to see that mix of the 2d and 3d items, um, being, you know, proudly displayed and, and, uh, at some points, you know, almost uh, displayed in, in, in a museum-like setting as well, too, among our friends. Yeah, and there's uh, so many great uh, 2D collections out there and that I've had a, a chance to see. And um, a lot of local guys here do a great job with their their framing. And um, I know there's a lot of you know, Bill Byers. He, he goes all out with his framing work and... Kyle Rose and there's just a lot of guys out there that take pride in the framing and, and having this like museum level quality in their presentations. And it's, it it just sets those collections apart in my mind from, from the rest because, you know, they, they love those 2d items as much as their 3d items. And I think it also helps, you know, again, because people have had 2d items for so long, but I think now there is an art behind uh, you know, framing and displaying. And I, I think it helps, especially with, you know, on groups like uh, our, our Facebook collecting groups, where we can see what other people have done. And I know that that has influenced uh, a number of our friends to start to display their stuff uh, differently, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and sometimes for the better. So Yeah, people are always looking for ways to set their collections apart from the rest. And um, I, I'm, I'm glad to see the trend of framing uh, making its way into more and more collections because it's mm. it just makes them so much more interesting to look at, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Item number four. Now I'll kind of transition into some interesting items uh, because I'm a Ben collector. I'll get into some of the Ben items. Um, the first one is um, anytime someone says, what's the most unique thing in, in your collection? Just irreverent unique oddball item. I always bring this up and it's relatively new acquisition. I got it off eBay and it is an evidence bag. (laughs) I've seen this one. Yeah. (laughs) And so I guess some guy got arrested. I I forget where, Um, but whenever he got arrested, the contents of his pockets were, a cigarette lighter and a vintage gray-haired Obi-Wan Kenobi with no cape <laughs> or lightsaber. And it's just in this evidence bag and it's all sealed up still. And I guess whenever he got out of jail to, 
did not claim them. And I, I don't know if a, someone from the precinct took it home and put it on eBay, but um, somehow it found its way onto eBay. And, and you know, I've got a, a number of people that anytime a Ben item comes up, they, they message me. So someone saw that and said, dude, you need to get this. So I quickly grabbed it. And I think it's like the best 50 bucks I ever spent because I've gotten my money's worth out of just telling that story and, you know, showing people this crazy item. But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, because I'm a completist. If anyone's got a evidence bag with a white haired Ben in it, (laughs) I would definitely be interested to to finish out my run of Ben evidence bags. Well, then you have to get all the variants too, right? Yeah, DT Ben evidence bag. <laughs> that would be that's the grail. Right. So if anyone's sitting on one of those, let me know. Oh, very nice. Okay, item number five. Uh, so the next one is uh, another Ben item. Um, it's a modern item. Um, during the dark times, you know, late '80s, early '90s, kind of before Power of the Force Two, um, there wasn't a whole lot coming out that was new. Um, even before the Bendems came out, there were these applause kind of, I don't know, statues made out of cheap plastic and just, I, they just looked terrible. Um, you but used to only, find those at Suncoast, right? Yeah. They, those were exclusively available at Suncoast stores in the mall. and Which were video stores in the 90s. Yeah, back when, you know, before the dark times, before streaming, when people <laughs> yeah. actually bought movies and videotapes and all yeah. that. So there's these, they're infamously bad, these, these applause statues. And I welcome you to Google images of them and you'll quickly see that, yeah, these, they, they cut a lot of corners during the production of these. However, in talking with, folks for the book with the very first person that I ever called on my own. Like the very first person was this guy, Phil Hauser and Phil, um, come to find out didn't work on the original vintage line, but he did work on the applause line. So he wound up sculpting, I think the entire line of those applause, um, statues and I really didn't think too much of it. Um, but uh, my buddy, Chris Fawcett started working on a Ninja Turtle book and you know, we were on a Kenner pick and a former Kenner person. And sh- she had like a ton of like Ninja Turtle stuff. And that kind of got us, uh, you know, into turtles or whatever. So in the course of doing research for that book, we come to find out this Phil Hauser guy did a lot of work on turtles. And so during one of the trips out to California, I went up and visited with Phil and, um, he still had all those applause wax sculpts that he did back in the day. And he got those out and like, these things are gorgeous. The, the toys, the crudity of the toys do not do these justice. Like these are, fine works of art. Like the Leia looks just like Carrie Fisher and the Ben looks just like Alec Guinness. And the C3PO is 
to this day my favorite like sculpt that I've seen. It's so intricate and just gorgeous. Well, one of the items was you know he had the Ben still, and because I'm a Ben collector, you know I I, I wanted to keep that for my collection, and um, it's you know sits in my cabinet, my Ben cabinet with the the vintage stuff, and it's cool to have any kind of wax. Like wax sculpts are incredibly hard to find uh, for Star Wars. You know the the vintage stuff is yeah almost impossible to get for the regular collector. Um, but the the opportunity to add a original trilogy character in wax was something that I'd always wanted to have in my collection, and the fact that it you know came from a guy that that we worked with closely um, on the on the Turtles book, and who's you know subsequently become a very good friend of mine, um, makes it even more special. So, um, yeah. I, We've posted a photo of all the sculpts on some of the groups, I believe. Um, I, I can send you photos of the Ben, and I think I've got the Vader as well and the C-3PO. Um, but they're gorgeous works of art. It makes me look at kind of that whole applause line in a different light. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's a piece that I'll always have and, and um, you know, reminds me of kind of working on the books. And it was through you, Stephen and Gary, that I've actually developed an appreciation for those early applause uh, items because truly, I mean, you know, they've always, in a way, some of that early stuff, the Bendems and, and these, these, uh, I guess they're, they're like plastic statues. Um, they've always been sort of a, a joke within the hobby, you know, mm-hmm. because they, they came during that, that dark time and they were really poor. You know, the, the production examples were, were, um, somewhat embarrassing, you know, as far as, as the way that they turned out. And yet when you see these sculpts, I mean, they, they are really some of the, the most gorgeous, detailed, uh, beautiful pieces that we've seen in our hobby so far. Oh, without question. Um, you know, the, the sculpts for the original, you know, three and three quarter inch line is just, they're so much smaller than, than the, the applause statues, which are, I think like nine or 10 inches tall. Like they're, gorgeous pieces of art just irrespective of them being turned into toys but there's so much detail so much more detail in those that you get that are lost in kind of the the four inch examples but um he this guy phil also did a number of the you you talk about bendems but he did a number of the bendems sculpts as well so kind of the second series um he wound up doing a lot of those i think it's like six or seven that he wound up doing but Again, you compare the sculpts of those to the final production figures, which are really crude and just kind of meant to be produced at the cheapest possible price. And um, there was a lot lost in translation from the sculpts to the final toys. And um, again, this is, you know, our book kind of highlights these people as professionals and this is what they did. And, and nothing illustrates that more than kind of this example of, okay, they've created these great works of art and you see the final toy and you just don't even really stop to think of how these became to be. And, um, it's, it's unfortunate that the, the, the production versions are so crude that you kind of lose maybe some appreciation for the original art behind them. Yeah. It's amazing for how much detail, uh, 
there is within the sculpts and, and how much detail is lost um, by the time it gets to the end result. Yeah, for sure, especially in these. Um, but yeah, I, you know, welcome you guys, or uh, impress upon you guys to go search these photos out. I think I posted them on the maybe the 12 back group. Um, but they're just, they're tremendous works of art and fortunate enough to have one of my collection of, uh, the character that I collect. Mm, congratulations too. And, and, you know, it's always, it's always rare to find a piece like that to begin with and then to get the one that, that fits into your focus. Uh, you know, we've had that happen among our, our friends numerous times and it, it's always amazing. You know, it always amazes me that, uh, that stuff will find uh, a way into a focus collector's home eventually. So. Yeah, so we've we've uh, uh, Chewy was part of that find, and Chewy's found his way to a Chewy Focus collector. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think. Um, there's, you know, I know Gary collects Luke, so the Luke found its way into the Luke X-wing found its way to Gary's collection. Uh, Ward collects Jedi garbage, so the Luke <laughs> Jedi sculpt found its way into his cabinet. Um, oh, I hate Steven all of a sudden. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> very cool Uh, it's nice to be able to place stuff in in friends collections as well too i mean that's always special oh for sure and and we all kind of know who the big focus collectors are for each character so like as soon as you know some new piece is discovered out there that's a, a character of a focus collector those are the people you immediately think of first and it's cool to have that kind of association with with these pieces as they turn up because you know Mm. who who would appreciate them the most. Yeah. Okay. Story number six. Story six. So, um, one of the interesting parts about working on, um, the turtle stuff with CJ is we've got to know a lot of the playmates folks. Um, so playmates is the company that, um, you know, took a chance on the Ninja Turtles, like Kenner took a chance with Star Wars, and it paid off for for both of them. Um, so, Ninja Turtles were done by. Um, there's primarily two sculpting studios out in California that did the vast majority of the line. Um, so while we were talking to these folks, we've come across a number of Star Wars pieces that we were like. Well, Plenty never did anything with Star Wars. You know, why do you have this Ben statue of a of a figure that looks pretty rough? And so, um, not only do we find kind of the the Ben, but we found like a Han Solo, a Darth Vader, a Chewbacca, um, a couple different Luke Skywalkers, a Princess Leia. Like, so we found representation of kind of the key characters spread across a number of these folks that worked on the line. We'll come to find out in the mid nineties when Kenner let its license with Lucas lapse, Lucas started uh, becoming open to the idea of um, having other companies vie for the star Wars license. Um, and playmates, part of their whole pitch was doing kind of a six inch line and all these figures that we found were kind of in that scale. And, um, the Ben was the last piece of all the ones that we found. And, um, 
the people that we talked to never knew that the Ben existed. Like every, to everyone's recollection, it was just kind of the Luke, Leia, Han, Chewie, kind of the 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 main characters. And then one of the last guys we talked to during one of our trips out there um, brought in just a box full of like random stuff that he had from back then, and in it was this really rough hard copy of Ben, and it's the the full Ben figure. And um, I'd kind of been telling Chris that you know I, I really hope Ben turns up one of these days, and sure enough, it it wound up turning up. So it's cool to have that kind of a crossover between you know, the Star Wars and then the, the playmates um, from the kind of the two books that, that we've been working on. I bring up books, plural, because Chris has actually done a fantastic book on the the history of the, the Ninja Turtle toy line. And I'll plug it here. It's Rad Plastic, R-A-D Plastic.com. And if this book existed for Star Wars, it would go for hundreds of dollars. Like it's 400 pages of just nothing but Ninja Turtle prototypes. And I, if you took that book and put it into Star Wars parlance and using Star Wars figures and prototypes, people would go gaga over this thing. So if, if you are at all interested in just toy art and the history behind toys and toy prototypes, I highly suggest you pick it up. It's it's just a very well done book. Chance Sanderson, who was the designer of our book, was the designer of this book, and he did a, uh, just a phenomenal job. So I wanted to include that piece in my my group of six, just because it was a good kind of a crossover between you know what's become the the two kind of collecting passions of mine: um, Star Wars and Ninja Turtles. Yeah, I'm actually really excited to read Red Plastic. Um, I know the the work that CJ does and and what he's what he's done on this as well too. Um, you know, and and having you as somebody who was involved, you know, in helping out with the the research uh, is is pretty cool too. <laughs> but uh, but after seeing your collection and and hearing you speak about uh, the different um, you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle prototypes that that you own. Uh, and you know, and, and just a little history behind them. I mean, you've made it to be so fascinating that it, it is something that I, I, you know, am very curious about. Even though I don't collect Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles, I, I'm really looking forward to to reading the book. Uh, you know, and, and again, seeing the, um, the the type of work that CJ does, the uh, the type of research you've done, and then getting to see your collection. Um, getting to hear the stories behind it, uh, even though I'm not a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles collector, um, I'm someone who's been interested, you know, in in the uh, in the line ever since it came out. I actually played with the toys as a child, and uh, so I'm I'm definitely looking forward to Rad Plastic too. So uh, it, it's again, it's just nice that our friends make such a mark on our hobbies uh, and on the community, and a lot of the research material. Or the reference material that we have now was produced by people like you, uh, you know, you, uh, CJ, uh, Gary, Matt, and you know, going further down the line, Gus and Duncan, uh, Matthias. I mean, we just we've we've been very blessed within our hobby to have people who have the skills to be able to produce books and to come out with material that is not only enjoyable to read but um, also helps us, you know, in our own uh, collecting endeavors. So. Well, anyone that's out there that's thinking about doing a book, like if our little ragtag group of 
misfits can do uh, can do a four hundred page book. You can, I guarantee it. <laughs> Good um, advice. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're passionate about something, and there's really, you know, there's a, a subject matter that's underrepresented in the market, like I, by all means, go for it. Especially here, as we're kind of cooped up in our houses, what what better way to um, be productive than than start a book about something you, you're passionate about? Absolutely. And as you can see, I mean, just from your own stories, Matt, and, and from your own experiences, the blessings are just endless, you know, and, and even years years after you produce this, uh, you know, things are still happening, you're still connecting with people. Uh, and as you said, now you're pursuing the, the, next, uh, ver- the next chapter, the next book. Yeah, it's, um, it, there's definitely not a um, small supply of, of folks to talk to that worked at Kenner. Kenner employed thousands and thousands of people over the years. And we're, we're trying to represent all the different areas in the company. So not just, you know, the sculptors or the engineers. Um, we're going to tell the story of everybody that worked there. So, um, you know, in the book we talked about um, the guy that was kind of in charge of running one of the Oakley buildings and, you know, how they were going to film uh a version of the movie toys with uh, George Lucas was interested in, in directing that. And he wanted to use his warehouse to, to film a lot of the uh, inside shots of the factory uh, from the story and how he had to, you know, prepare his team for working around the filming schedule. And ultimately that, that uh, movie wound up not getting made until later by a different director and a different location. But, um, Stories like that would not have been possible had we just kind of limited the scope of the book to to just those that like physically worked on the toys. We wanted to talk to everybody, you know, that, you know, that included the people that shipped the toys out and, you know, worked in the uh, worked and managed on the assembly lines at Kenner. And um, yeah, so it's it's uh, if you haven't read the book, we there's a good cross section of different uh job responsibilities from those folks. So uh, it makes it for a more interesting read for sure. And if you've actually read the book and not just flipped through and looked at the photos, you get bonus points. Wait, there's text in there too. (laughs) (laughs) We knew when we did this book that it had to have lots and lots of pictures and that probably 20% of the folks or fewer would actually like physically read it. But, um, we did, do our due diligence on the on the grammar and <laughs> we no. re, like proofread that thing dozens of times and um yeah we we did the stories justice i think and, and the stories and the connections in them really are, are what makes the book so rewarding i know for me i just every time i, I read even just you know a, a segment from it or a chapter uh i my day always brightens a little bit uh, in in a really special way and I, I feel like i'm connecting with friends and i love that so that's awesome i appreciate it yeah, fascinating stuff, Matt. And really, thank you so much for being on the premiere, uh, our premiere conversation of uh, of six stories. I think this will be uh, hopefully one that continues, and I'd love to have you come back and do another six. Absolutely, looking forward to it. Awesome. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. It was great talking to you. Likewise, appreciate it.